As a country, we are emerging from a very dark and difficult period. Together we have chosen a path of rebuilding, a path of renewal, a path of transparency and accountability, and a path of justice and the rule of law. I have every confidence that no matter the challenges, we will walk this path together and we will prevail because we are South Africans. President Cyril Ramaphosa addressed the nation on Sunday, announcing steps that the government will take to implement recommendations made by the Zondo Commission of Inquiry. Describing corruption as a crime against the people of South Africa, Ramaphosa promised an overhaul of the country's anti-corruption architecture. Key in the action plan is that the NPA's investigative directorate will be made permanent. I'm Catherine Rice, and you're listening to The Story, where we talk to journalists and experts about the biggest story of the week. This week, we're talking to Assistant Editor for News24 Investigations, Peter Dutoy, and later we'll be talking to journalist and author, Mandy Wiener. Peter, thanks so much for your time. The Zonto Commission made over 350 recommendations. What are some of the key ones that government plans to implement? Catherine, look, it's, uh, I read through, incidentally, I read through the whole report yesterday, and I have to say that I find it quite disappointing. Uh, the president runs down, a large part of the president's response, which has now been sent to parliament, is a rehash of what the, com- what the commission found, saying this is what they found and this is what they recommend. But the recommendations, by and large, are very thin. A lot of the things that he says government will implement are things that are already being implemented. For example, the National Prosecuting Authority and the Investigating Directorate directorate, uh, are working around the clock to try and secure indictments in order to take uh, state capture actors to court. Now, that's happened over the last couple of weeks. We've seen that with Brian Molefe, Anosh Singh, uh, and others related to Transnet and ESCOM being charged. Uh, We are avidly anticipating more arrests uh, to come in the next couple of days. But the the, the, the implementation plan by the president, I have to say, is actually very weak. He refuses to engage with one of the biggest issues, which was cadre deployment, which was specifically cited by Chief Justice Raymond Zondo as one of the main reasons why state capture was able to permeate the state to such a, to the extent that it did. He, he doesn't go there at all. He doesn't even refer to it. He doesn't even touch on it in, in a sideways manner. So, so that's extraordinarily disappointing. The other thing is his absolute refusal to to put his hand in his own bosom uh, and look at the deficiencies in in the national executive. Uh, there are still a number of state capture actors who, in fact, serve on uh, in his cabinet, which he simply refuses to to act against. Uh, there's a line in his report to Parliament where he says um, where he refers to some of the ministers that have been mentioned, saying he takes this into account and in, will attend to this in due course or something to that effect. Now that's just simply not good enough, and I would argue that it shows this president's lack of urgency to tackle the most insidious problems, which is uh, rooted in the ANC, which which has become a large organized criminal enterprise, Catherine. So, so the long and the short of it, the, the report back by the president, I would say, is thin on detail and very disappointing. 
But Peter, the NPA's investigative directorate will have powers similar to what the Scorpions once had. What are they and why is that good news for the country? That's the most significant announcement uh, in, in, in that report. Now, if you cast your mind back to 2008, beginning of 2008, February or March, I think it was, I was in the room. Uh, a committee was established to start the process to disband the Scorpions. That was literally a couple of months after Jacob Zuma triumphed over Tabu Mbeki at Polokwane. And the reason was that the, the Scorpions was a, a an outfit, the Directorate of Special Operations, Directorate of Special Operations rather, was housed in the NPA. And what made them so effective was that you had prosecutors, investigators, and f- prosecutors, criminal investigators, and forensic investigators working as part of one team. So you had prosecutors and investigators with with police powers, but also with prosecuting powers. And they were very powerful. They started really making inroads into organized crime, into organized corruption, into political corruption. And it obviously was a threat to the ANC leadership back then under Jacob Zuma. So the, the DSO and the Scorpions, uh, within the space of a year, was castrated and then killed off. And in the intervening, is it 14 years? If my mathematics uh, doesn't desert me, you know, we've we've started, we've lost the battle against corruption. So it's, it's a belated decision, a good one nonetheless. And as far as I understand, there will be some uh, amendments made to at least two laws, the South African Police Service Act and the National Prosecuting Authority Act, to return those powers to the NPA, which means you'll have an investigative team led by a prosecutor, supported by criminal investigators that have the uh, same powers as the police and forensic investigators. So it's it's good news, but it's belated, and, and, and I dare say it, it might be too late. And Peter, what about criticism from opposition parties about Ramaphosa's failure to address concerns about CADA deployment? Do you think the criticism has been fair? Absolutely. Uh, CADA deployment has been taken too far. Uh, Judge Chief Justice Raymond Zondo said in his report that it's unconstitutional, that it cannot be allowed to stand. And the ANC, in fact, has now gone to court opposing a, a, an application by the DA to have it declared illegal. CADA deployment is a, is, is a process by which the ANC have uh, deployed their preferred candidates into every senior, sing- senior position in the state, uh, in state-owned enterprises. And from the Zondo report, uh, from from our own reporting as investigative journalists, we know that was the single biggest uh, tool that was used by the state capture crew to infiltrate entities like ESCOM, Transnet, PRASA, the National Prosecuting Authority, SARS, and all the rest of them, and to repurpose those institutions to serve the state capture project. So it, it must not be allowed to stand. The ANC simply cannot see past their collective noses, Catherine, and they will not let this go. But it is a cancer at the heart of our body politic. Well, exactly. And the imminence of the ANC elective conference, do you think Ramaphosa has to tread very carefully, particularly when it comes to how he plans to deal with members of the executive implicated in corruption? Catherine, that's that's the overriding uh, decision-making praxis that uh, Cyril Ramaphosa considers every time that he needs to make a decision. What's good for the party and what's good for my faction and what's good for my plans to remain in power. The ANC at this stage and the president and the national executive, they do not take decisions in the national interest. They take decisions in the interests of the party, but more specifically in the interests of certain factions. So you will not see Cyril Ramaphosa act against Gwede Mantashe, who was a, was a major figure uh, that emerged from the Zondo Commission, who did receive gratification from Bosasa, as News24 has reported earlier, b- because he is such an important player for Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, 
uh, ahead of the ANC's conference, conference at Nazareth. He's a he's a strong strong man in ANC politics. So Ramaphosa needs him. He will not act against him. So that's just an example of the demented way in which the ANC at this moment makes decisions. It's not in the national interest, but in the interests of specific factions in the party. Peter, you know, on Sunday night when he addressed the nation, journalists never get a chance to actually ask him questions. What do you think about that? I mean, it's it's crazy. Catherine, it's hugely problematic. Where in any uh, democracy does the, the head of state not answer questions from the media you know even even donald trump who is a despot as close as a despot as you can get he often and regularly almost weekly answered questions from the media why does this president not subject himself to the scrutiny scrutiny from journalists it's in his presidency presidency it's almost never happened the closest we've come to answering to, to a press conference were staged managed in uh, stage managed meetings between the south, south african national editors forum and the president that was tightly controlled by the president's spokesperson. Now, that's also that, that's also been a couple of years ago, so it almost never happens. We never have the opportunity to ask the president questions. This does not happen in any other democracy, and it should not happen yet. It's, it's hugely problematic. It tells us the president has something to hide. It tells us the president fears questions from the media, and, and unfortunately, I think he's getting very bad advice from his advisors. Even under Thabo Mbeki, you know, that we had much more opportunity to ask questions, and I dare say in the first couple of years of the Jacob Zuma presidency, we had more opportunity to interact with him than we've had in four years with Cyril Ramaphosa. It really does seem crazy. Well, thank you so much for your time. That was Assistant Editor for News 24 Investigations, Peter Detoy. We're now joined by journalist Mandy Wiener, who is also the author of several books, including The Whistleblowers. Mandy, thanks so much for your time. We're going to see a lot of legislative reforms. Can you tell us your big takeaways in terms of how that's going to look? So the president has said that he wants uh, an overhaul of the architecture uh, governing a corruption fight in South Africa. So I think that that's going to be really interesting to see how it does look. We know that the Justice Department is seized with that. The Anti-Corruption Advisory Council also looking at that. And there are options that they, they could be informed by. I know that on whistleblowers, for example, they're looking at best practice around the world and other examples of legislation. Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of anticipation around what that looks like in terms of a whole new architecture. Um, but we've certainly learned from state capture that we really need to make sure that our laws are, are tightened, that they're improved, um, that, that we need to be sufficiently prepared because state capture courts are so off guard that if it were to happen again, we need to have the proper legislation in place. But Mandy, the SIU tribunal, it did recover 8.6 billion rand and there's already been 4,500 convictions. But clearly there's a lot more work to be done. Do you think the overhaul, do you think it's achievable? I do think it's achievable. I think you need to remember just how devastating the state capture project was and how the NPA and the Hawks and various law enforcement agencies were key targets of state capture. They were eviscerated. They were decimated. We saw so much capacity lost. And that's why we need to now see a recapacitation of all of those law enforcement agencies. And that process is happening at the NPA, at the Hawks. Uh, The SIU is busy. There is very much a narrative in South Africa that nothing is being done that no one is being convicted, that money isn't being recovered. And that's just not true because 
we are seeing money recovered by the SIU tribunal. We are starting to see the prosecutions happening. And I think that making the investigating directorate permanent, giving it investigative powers, is a massive step in the fight back against state capture. Mandy, Ramaphosa confirmed that the Justice Department is reviewing the Protected Disclosures Act and Witness Protection Act. Can you tell us what this will mean for whistleblowers? This is absolutely crucial because as it stands at the moment, the legislation, uh, the Protected Disclosure Act, is insufficient. It just does not protect whistleblowers. So we need an overhaul of legislation. They've given a clear deadline of April 2023. And this can't happen soon enough because we have state capture whistleblowers who are languishing, whose lives are at risk, who do not have income. Uh, and this is really concerning. So we need to see new legislation. And there are options here too. Uh, we could look at what happened in the Netherlands with a whistleblower house. Uh, there is talk of, of doing what they've done in the U.S. with the False Claims Act and financial remuneration. That's one of the recommendations of Zondo. So this has to happen. If we are going to protect whistleblowers, if we're going to encourage them to come forward, we have to change the law and it has to happen quickly. Well, it, it did unfortunately come too late for whistleblowers like Babita Diokaran. Mandy, you've written extensively about the dangers involved for a whistleblower in your book. But do you think these reforms really will encourage people to come forward when they uncover corruption? If a potential whistleblower looks at the example of Babita Diokaran, why would they come forward? Because here you have somebody who was trying to close the taps on tender fraud who was helping the SIU with their investigation, who was doing the right thing and got gunned down for doing the right thing. So we need to find a way to encourage whistleblowers to come forward. And the concern is that the shooting of Babita Diakaran will have a chilling effect on whistleblowers. That means we need to find a way to protect them, uh, that the channels are in place for them to come forward. Their lives are not placed in risk, that they are protected uh, financially, psychologically, legally. And that means we need uh, a structure in place that does better protect and, and support whistleblowers in South Africa. Well, let's hope we get there. Thank you so much for your insights. That was Mandy Wiener, journalist and author. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Catherine Rice. Join us again next week for The Story.